From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now a moment of silence before this episode begins. We've got some really rich texts and ideas before us today, but before we dig in, uh, just to get us going, kind of warmed up a bit, uh, today we're going to be talking about wisdom. Um, Paul's got some pretty profound and jarring things to say about wisdom, but, uh, but just to get ourselves in that headspace, I wonder if you would take a second and uh, just consider, like, what's the, what's the best advice uh, that you've ever received? Is, is there something that comes to mind right away? Or, um, or maybe what's the advice that you find yourselves giving others most frequently? Um, you know, this finding true insight, wisdom, the best way to live in this life is often hard won. And, uh, and my sense is that you have likely got some accumulated wisdom. Uh, and maybe it's about relationships, right? How to make friends, how to choose friends, how to be a friend. Maybe it's about uh, romantic relationships, uh, what makes for a great marriage, how to know that it's, that person's the one, if you believe there's a one, right? Um, maybe you've found some hard one wisdom around, um, around vocation, right? Hey, if there was one thing you could uh, pass on to others around your career or being successful in your vocation, uh, maybe uh, about the, that first job or about the school or the major that you choose, right? What, what would that be? Uh, if you could go back and tell your, fi- your uh, younger self uh, some financial tips, right? If you could start over, if you could do some things differently this time, uh, what, what would you pass on? Uh, there's many things that come to mind for me, uh, many things that I find myself offering, not only to my kids, but to those who sit down across the table from me and uh, we find ourselves in this space. Uh, wisdom's one of the things we value most in this life and can be most helpful. And so this morning, as we enter this text, I want us to just kind of hold some of that wisdom, if you can, uh, gently in the back of your mind as we hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to us and and what he's reminding the church of this day. Uh, And so if you would, hear now this reading from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 31. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord. This is what Paul writes. He says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed but it's the power of God for those of us who are being saved. Uh, It's written in the scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach 
Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Uh, Look at your situation when you were called brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper class, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what's considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. And this means that he made us righteous and holy and he delivered us. This is consistent with what was written. The one who brags should brag in the Lord. Now, friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, if you're feeling a bit hooked uh, on that turn we just made from pulling up within ourselves the wisdom that we cherish, and then having Paul run all over it. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, sort of, uh, but it's been my experience this week. As I've sat with this text, I've, I've felt the punch of this text as well, the challenge in it uh, to the wisdom that we so comfortably hold and share and pass on to others. I mean, Paul opens up that God has come to destroy the wisdom of the wise. Uh, He is not holding back, right? And uh, just to kind of orient ourselves a little, like what in the world is he talking about? The lectionary is actually really helpful to us in this way. Today, uh, typically I find myself in the gospel, and if we were to be uh, in the gospel, the lectionary passage today is actually the Beatitudes. Some of you know that's a selection. It's an opening selection from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's in a number of gospels, but in Uh, today's lectionary would have been in Matthew 5. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is uh, often seen as the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, Perhaps the most important words that Jesus ever spoke, maybe the most important words ever spoken in human history. Uh, In Matthew's gospel, it takes up three chapters, five, six, and seven, and and it's teed up in this setting where, uh, in many ways, Jesus is appears to be almost the new Moses, that in the way that Moses in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments from God, these ways of living, these um, more holy, beautiful, healthy ways for human flourishing that Moses then brought down to the people. Uh, Jesus in this sermon also goes up on a hill, on a mountain, but this time gathered uh, around him are some people And he gives this extended teaching on the life that is actually life. And here in uh, these three chapters, we get um, a heavy dose of what Jesus considers true wisdom. Uh, What God is laying out as an alternative to the wisdom of our age or the wisdom of the wise, right? And just to remind you, here's some of the greatest hits from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says, uh, do not resist an evildoer. Uh, Here's a piece of advice 
Best advice, don't resist an evildoer. In fact, if they strike you on the left cheek, turn to them the right also. Uh, Jesus' advice sounds like if somebody's suing you and they're asking, they're suing you for your shirt, uh, give them your shirt and your coat as well. Uh, that's Jesus' legal advice to you today. Um, if uh, when it comes to enemies, should you find yourself with an enemy, someone who's against you, Jesus says, uh, my advice to you would be to love them and to pray for those who bully or harass you. Uh, this is Jesus' relational advice for high conflict situations. Uh, Jesus says that uh, should you find yourself in a moment of uh, philanthropy, uh, the ability to be generous uh, with someone, some organization, uh, Jesus' instruction to you is to do so anonymously. Uh, don't even put your name on the form so that they can't keep a record and you can't get the tax write-off. Uh, this is Jesus' instructions on how to be generous. Um, should you, uh, when it, speaking of money, Jesus says, uh, when it comes to money, don't store up wealth for yourself in this life. Uh, instead, give it away and invest in eternity, uh, which is, makes us anxious, just the idea of it. And so uh, Jesus says, well, speaking of worry, uh, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Uh, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. In fact, don't even worry about tomorrow, right? Like, let's just be here. Um, and how will this work out? He says, Jesus says, well, my advice to you would be to live off of the generosity of strangers, right? Uh, this, this is some upside down, quote unquote, wisdom. Uh, I don't know if any of those things came to mind when I asked you uh, for your best advice. Uh, surely th this is not the kind of advice that I would give and have given my children, right? This is not the default. This wisdom sounds like uh, what I want you to do is to lose, to go slow, to be patient, to put everybody else before yourself. Th this, this sort of wisdom, uh, how, how could we possibly ever make sense out of it? How could anybody reasonably ever live in this direction? Well, uh, Paul reminds us that, um, that the wisdom of God, which is on display in the person of Jesus, uh, that it doesn't come to us in the way that we're used to. He says uh, in his audience, his day at time, he says, you know, uh, my Jewish siblings, the way that we make sense out of whether something's true, whether it's right, whether God's in it, is because it, in our story, it's often been accompanied by a demonstration of power, Right? Um, I don't see a whole lot of power in this advice. He says for the, for the Greeks, for the Gentiles, for those who aren't Jewish, um, part of the way that they make sense of the world is this inner rationality. In fact, Greeks had this profound sense that the, the divine that was inside of us, the, the divine spark that we have was our inner reason. And, and so uh, the more clearly you could articulate something and the rationale and the reason for it, and multiple people could point at it and see the same reason, you were getting closer and closer to kind of a divine code, right? These principles for human flourishing, for successful living, right? And when you hear the advice that Jesus is giving, these uh, instructions, this wisdom, this does not sound rational. This seems completely irrational, Right? Uh, I don't know what he would say, what Paul would say to us today as Americans. I think part of the way we judge whether an idea is wise or not is, uh, will it make us successful, right? 
We follow success, maybe more than demonstrations of power, maybe more than pure ration, reason. Uh, we're, we're searching for success. That will also fail us when it comes to making sense of what Jesus offers, this alternative wisdom. It's also a reminder for us who do consider ourselves Christian that, that our appeal, uh, the legitimacy of our claim or way of being in the world has never come through a demonstration of power. It's never come through pure reason or a strong argument. It hasn't come on the backs of our profound success. Now, Paul says our credibility, the truth and this wisdom, the only way to understand it is through a story, that there are some truths that can't be accessed in any other way. And he says, so the only way you come to understand this wisdom is through the foolishness of preaching, of somebody getting up and telling you the story of God. And it's a weird story, right? The, the, our story, just my, our story is that the God of the universe took on flesh, became one of us, uh, showed up in this life poor, uh, in a minority group, uh, under an uh, oppressive regime in a nowhere town with kind of a blue-collar existence as a carpenter, 30 years of his life largely unknown. Uh, and, and then when he comes on the scene as a religious leader, a significant individual, he does so by walking through this life almost um, clearly unaware in some sense of of the rules that we all live by, right? Uh, he seems completely disinterested in the arguments that people around him are having. He puts no energy into accumulating wealth or status or power. And then his life is cut short at 33 years old, uh, completely preventable, but is cut short when he's executed as a criminal in the most humiliating way. And on the other side of his death, uh, as a community begins to follow, uh, his followers pick up and move on and keep telling the story of Jesus, um, that the community of Jesus is largely uh, made up of, comprised of um, the poor, the sick, uh, those of low class, servants, slaves, no power in this world. Um, it, it is a difficult story to find yourself in. Even when Paul says that you're not going to make sense out of this wisdom through reason, you're, you're going to need to hear the story. Some of us, when we hear the story, it sounds even more foolish, right? In fact, I, I heard this week, um, uh, I was reading about this, that one of the earliest depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus uh, was found just about 100 years ago or so, maybe less than that, in Rome, uh, and it was uh, found on this place called the Palatine Hill, right? So there's a number of hills outside of Rome. Uh, Palatine was like the original location of Rome from which the whole city grew and expanded, and over time, it became uh, the place where the wealthy lived. And then in about 27 BC, you know, 20 years before uh, Jesus arrives, uh, the emperor Augustus takes over the whole hill, builds his palace there. And then from then on, it would be the exclusive domain of the emperor and of his people. So the, the most wealthy, powerful folks in one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen lived in Palatine. And there, just a, you know, a couple decades ago, 
one of the earliest depictions of Jesus crucified was found. And it was found as graffiti on a plaster wall that dates back to the first or second century. And the depiction uh, is referred to as Alexamenos uh, graffiti, right? So if you want to look it up, you can online, Alexamenos graffiti. What's on display, what had been carved into this plaster was a, a picture of a boy, his name's Alexamenos, pointing up, at a man being crucified, but instead of a human head, the man being crucified had a donkey as a head. And then the boy is being mocked and ridiculed by his peers. And on this piece of artwork, it says, Alexa Menos worships his God, right? One of the very first depictions we get of the cross is graffiti in a powerful and wealthy neighborhood of folks Uh, mocking the faith of probably a servant child, right? That this, this was the early understanding of Christianity. Like what an absurd story for someone to believe of what an insignificant people. That this is uh, for many of us, when we hear the story of God, this, this is a natural reaction and response. In fact, Paul uses this language foolish again and again throughout the passage we read. In Greek, that word, it's moriah, and it's where we get the word moron, right? It, the early Romans, when they looked at the life of Jesus and the wisdom that he lived out of and the people who joined him in it, uh, their understanding, the, the vast understanding of those around was that this was a group of morons following a jackass. That this was the way that they understood this story, right? And Paul says, this is how many, this is how those who are being destroyed by the wisdom of this age, this is how they will see this story. Yeah. And those who live according to it, this is how they'll understand that wisdom. It's a bunch of morons following a jackass, Right? And yet, Paul says, for those who are being saved, saved from this destructive wisdom, saved for this deeper flourishing, um, this God, this story, this wisdom, it's, it's the power of God in their lives. I... Um, I, this, uh, I was reminded of this like old preacher story, parable, uh, this week. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, but uh, there's a barbershop and there's a bunch of men hanging out in there and a barber, old barber, cutting hair. And as they're all talking, he, the barber sees this kid walk by the shop and he calls the kid in, or he, he says to all the gentlemen in the barbershop, he says, you want to see the most foolish kid I've ever met? And uh, they're all like, yeah, 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 Just show us, right? So he calls the kid into the barbershop and he pulls out his wallet and he takes out a dollar bill and he takes out two quarters. And he says to the kid, you can have one or the other. You want the two quarters or the one dollar bill? And uh, the child picks the two quarters. And all the men in the barbershop get a huge laugh out of it. And, uh, and the boy walks out and carries on. Well, later that day, one of the men who was sitting in the barbershop is walking down uh, one of the streets in town and he sees the child. And so he calls him over and he says, you're going to have to explain it to me, boy. Like, why, why would you take the two quarters over a dollar? Don't you know it's 50 cents versus a dollar? Like, why would you do that? And, and the boy, as he's licking his ice cream cone, looks back up at the man and said, well, I know that the day I take the dollar that the game will end, right? Yeah. There, it's a silly story, but it's a reminder that 
there's, there's a wisdom in this life that will look like foolishness to those around you. There's, there's a wisdom, there's a way of living in the way of Jesus that, that others will see you as a sad victim of a ridiculous uh, delusion, right? And yet, it's a wi- it's, that in itself is the foolishness, that the wisdom of God is so much greater than the wisdom of this world. In fact, Paul says that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, there's this experience that many of us have had, and maybe are having, that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's, there's a way of being that's being offered to us that would make sense in no other context, but somehow it's saving us. It, it doesn't feel like bondage, like the wisdom we've been living under. It actually feels like freedom. There's a beauty to this to this way of life that seems so upside down, that there's, there, there's something uh, incredibly uh, rewarding about seemingly wasting our lives, that there's a deep gift in choosing um, to associate with the low and the weak. Uh, there's, there's a real reward in this way for us such that like the boy in the barbershop, we look at all the games for status and power and accumulation and say, you can keep it. I found something so much better, right? And so this week, as Paul challenges our own wisdom with a higher one, with one that only makes sense inside of a story, uh, it's had me wondering what it would mean, what it would look like for this power to be at work in our lives uh, as a community and in our individual lives and our families. What what would this power, uh, how would it play out? What would salvation look like for us today if we were to live in the wisdom of Jesus? If we were to read our life through the filter of the wisdom of the beautiful story of the cross? Just to give you some examples, I, w- I wonder how we would handle some of those prompts we started with, right? Like if we were to think our life through the filter of the cross, uh, what might our advice be uh, to those seeking uh, a career? Uh, how might we handle that raise that uh, we just received? How might it change the conversation that we're having about where we would send our kids to school? Who would we invite to our house for dinner? Uh, how might we respond to the person who uh, never stops talking trash about us, right? I, I'm not so courageous or bold to offer an answer for you there, um, but it seems to me that the real joy of following Jesus is in the courage of facing those questions and so many more, of being willing to be seen as a group of morons in this life and yet to be completely free of a wisdom whose only power is destruction. And, uh, and so friends, may we have the courage to exchange the wisdom of this world for the wisdom of Christ. And may it be so.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.